Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Holy heartbeat! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Happy Sunday to you. Welcome into another episode of the Quarantine Chronicles, as we are so lovingly calling it over here. On the show today, we have a fantastic interview with Paige Davis, celebrity TV personality, musician, Broadway performer, singer, dancer. She does it all. And she was part of a television show back in the late 90s, early 2000s called Trading Spaces on the Learning Channel. TLC, it was reality television before reality television existed. And we talk about that show, her love for theater, Broadway, how she kind of stumbled upon the show by accident and really wasn't setting out to be anybody famous or even a TV personality. And we cover a lot in the conversation. I'm excited for you to listen to this. Paige, welcome into the podcast. It's good to have you here today. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I have a private space. I'm not bugging my husband. I've come to my friend's apartment. (laughs) It's cute, oh, right? It is, yeah. How awesome is that? Well, I want to show you my place at the end because when I told my roommate that I was talking to you, we took a tiny house or shed and we retrofitted it into a living space. So okay, yeah. I'm serious. So we'll, we'll, I'll show you at the end because that's where I'm at right now. So it, it doubles as my house slash studio. <laughs> so, I love it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh my God, you have to tell her. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> Just, I'm sure she probably gets that all the time. But yeah, it's a cute space. Your space is awesome. And uh, that's that's kind of your thing. So I guess the big question is you're in New York and Manhattan. What is the climate like right now with everything going on? Is life kind of back to normal or what's been happening? Yes and no. Um, today's a neat day because the literal climate is quite lovely. There's even a I would say there's even a slight, maybe, is that a hint of a, of a chill in the air? There's like a feeling of fall, which happens to be, I, I hate summer so much and I never, I can hardly ever wait till fall comes. Um, but the, the emotional climate is good, I guess. I mean, I think that I go out into the world um, more often than some of my friends, but quite less than other of my friends. So I'm not 100% sure if my pulse is correct. When I do go out in my neighborhood, like to the supermarket or like here, I've walked to my friend's house to be, you know, my friend's apartment to be here. I kind of feel like the streets are basically like they always are. You wouldn't really know anything was different or up except that everyone's wearing masks. And I more or less feel safe. I mean, I just kind of still wash my hands all the time. And, you know, you carry your Corel with you. And so I'm, you know, kind of using the hand sanitizer a lot and washing my hands a lot. And I'm always masked. And I feel relatively good. I get a kind of low-grade anxiety anger whenever I walk past someone who's not wearing a mask. Kind of makes me angry because I just know how serious it is. But luckily I'm doing force quit on my mail here. So maybe that ding won't keep happening. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, I 
Most of the people I see are wearing masks. I would say it's about less than 20% of people are not. And I've never seen someone not wear a mask, say, in a subway car. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll see people walking down the street without a mask, which I think is still a little iffy. Like, I don't think that's okay. I think if you're sitting on a blanket with your couple of friends and you guys are in a little circle in the park and you've got your space that's just your space, I think it's cool if you want to take off your masks and have a picnic. But you're walking on the sidewalk like, New York is crowded. Like, you should be wearing your mask. I don't care if you're outside. You but guys got hit the hardest there, too. The stores are open, right? The stores are open. I literally just got my hair done. Nice. I had gray roots until just, <laughs> like, right before you met me. Um, so we've left this, uh, it's like, curtain streak in the front. Um, but I'm going to be doing um, a job. I actually get to do $100,000 pyramid. Oh, Nice. So I'm like, oh, I can't have seven inches of gray root on national television. I really better go get that fixed. So I, I finally got my hair did. You know, I haven't done a mani-pedi yet, but like all those places are open and I don't know. What yeah. about you? So you are where exactly? Well, I'm in, the Bay, I'm in the Bay Area near uh, San Jose is where I'm at. So... We actually are still, Governor Newsom has still has us on a very loose stay-at-home order. In other words, like a lot of places are allowed to be open for outdoor dining and that sort of thing. But as far as like indoor dining, it's not a go. And like shopping malls, uh, hair salons uh, can operate outside, which is crazy. So if you want to go get your hair cut, like technically they're supposed to do it outside. So wow. it's 105 degrees and you want to go get your hair cut outside. I'm like, I'm good. I'll wait. No, no, I wouldn't. But I was fortunate. I mean, I don't mean to be like all super detailed. No, not at all. Bore, bore everybody. But in my situation, the person that I went to, he leases a small salon space that only has two chairs and his one sink. And he's the only person in there. Now, normally, he would do two people at a time. Like, say someone was getting their color done while they were processing, he might cut cut somebody else's hair or whatever. But now, he just does one person at a time, and he disinfects and sanitizes before anybody else comes in. And so, the whole time I was there, it was just me. Mm -hmm. And I kept my mask on the whole time, even when I was in the sink. You know, he, like, my mask got completely soaked, and it didn't matter, you know. And he kept his mask on, and so I felt I felt pretty good. But I don't know if how, if I would feel safe going to a salon and just sitting right next to somebody all crowded, and I wouldn't want to sit in 105 degree heat either. <laughs> no, I, I'm like, so yeah. So to to answer your question, you know, they have allowed certain things to open, but as far as like movie theaters, bowling alleys, you know, oh yeah, none of that is, is oh, done. Open, yeah. It was for a little while. The bowling alley was open, so I I have a six year old, so I was like, sweet, we can go bowling for the summer because there's nothing else that we can do. And then that once everything started peaking again, it all shut down. But you know, Governor Newsom has said next week he's going to release a new form of order that will sort of clarify a little bit more about what people can do and can't do. So we'll see. I don't know. I, you know, this whole thing has just been absolutely insane. And now we're in the midst of Uber and Lyft threatening to leave California. So I feel like it's just like this ongoing battle of things happening. But that's okay. 
I'm excited because I'm here with you and uh, I'm I'm so thankful that we were able to connect the way that we did and, and that you were willing to come on and chat about things. But there's so many things I want to talk about. Of course, theater, musical theater, which I know I and I, I think either. <laughs> what's that? I know, right? I, that's another crazy thing to think about that Broadway is shut down completely now, you know, at least for the end of the year, which ironically, this is just as a side note, a, a Broadway performer on, she came on and we talked a little bit and, uh, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. Like they have no idea. Like even when things are like, quote unquote, normal and they can perform, how is that going to work? You know, like, are people going to want to pack into a, a small theater of 250 people and watch Wicked nope. or Beauty and the Beast or whatever? Like, are they going to want to do it? You know, and crazy. I mean, once there is a vaccine, but even sure. after the vaccine, a lot of times, you know, you'll need to, like, shingles vaccine is two doses, three months apart. So, I mean, even once a vaccine comes out, there's no guarantee that, it, you know, how long will it take to inoculate everybody and how long, like, I wouldn't go. I mean, if you had any place to go on vacation, why would you come to Broadway? <laughs> you go to, like, Zion National Park or you would right. go, like, you know, now, right now, yeah, I don't think things are going to be, quote, unquote, normal for a long time. Yeah. For a very long time. I don't think so either. And I'm just thankful. Theaters that are trying to figure out a way to, you know, sell every third or every sixth seat and things like that. And I think regional theaters might have a fighting chance of doing things like that. But I think just financially, I don't think it's even remotely feasible for Broadway to try to do that. It's just too expensive to run Broadway. Mm -hmm. They can't, you can't run a Broadway show when every sixth seat is sold. That's when shows close. That's when they're not selling tickets. They close. <laughs> you can't. Right. Yeah. Like what would shut a theater down normally? Like let's say Hamilton, which is a thousand bucks or so a seat. <laughs> and they're talking about having, cause theaters have to make money too. And I know Broadway actors, not too many don't make a lot of money performing, and so now you're going to raise ticket prices and now let's say Hamilton's $3,000 a seat now, you know, and like you said. Well, that's because there's supply and demand. I mean, that, that ticket is only selling for that because people will pay that. Right, right. Those tickets, that will go down. Well, I guess if there's fewer seats, maybe it'll go up if they can't fill every seat and if people are willing to pay, I guess – that's the thing. Those premium tickets, they only sell for that because people will buy it. Right. If well, he's coming to the theater and nobody wants to sit in a theater. Those ticket prices might go way down. That'll be a chance to see Hamilton. <laughs> I know. Right. Like if the, the, well, I saw it on Disney plus, so I've had my fill. I'm okay. And I've seen plenty of shows. Um, it's been a long time since I've been to New York, but speaking of, you have a massive background in musical theater. I was just going through everything Beauty and the Beast, Chicago. I mean, and that's just a couple that I can think of off the top of my head. There's been hundreds of others. Has musical theater always been a part of something of yeah, you outside was, of everything else you've done? That was my dream and my goal. My okay. biggest passion in life is dance. And I had been a gymnast when I was a younger girl, but by the time I was 13, I had realized that although I loved gymnastics and I competed at, at a state level, it became, I don't know, it just became clear to me that the part of gymnastics that I loved the most were all of the connecting steps. 
it wasn't the tricks that I liked. It was all the stuff that was in between all the tricks. And I loved to dance. And I had found uh, my mother's West Side Story album. This is the, you know, the story I always tell. I found that album. I started listening to that album, you know, at like 12, 13 years old. And I was like, this is everything. And I would like act out all the parts for myself. You know, I would just be down in the basement listening to the album pretending I was Maria pretending I was Tony pretending I was Anita and the Jets and the Sharks and whatever I just loved it and my aunt had kind of she'd really foot the bill for my gymnastics a lot of it and when I was like I want to dance she was like okay well I don't know if I now want to foot the bill for all your dance lessons too like you need to make up your mind um I mean she was very sweet about it but Sure. Um, a friend of mine, a teacher in middle school had told me that there was a performing arts high school. And she said, you know, it's a public school. You, you have to audition to get in, but it's free to go. And so I did. So all my very first kind of official ballet lessons and jazz lessons and modern lessons were at the performing arts high school. And that's when I really started committing myself to dance. And then I majored in dance in college and I did summer stock all through college. And it was always my goal. Broadway was always my dream, always my dream to do musical theater. And I kind of only really learned how to sing and act so I could dance in musical theater. It was my, my goal was to be a dancer on Broadway. And I, I did it. But a lot of people really know me from Trading Spaces. And so mm -hmm. they think of me as kind of this home DIY diva. And I'm not at all. I mean, I love interior design and I love decorating in the same way that anybody would, you know, decorating their home. And my mother actually went to school for interior design and that is her number one passion. But for me, it was always dance. So the fact that I ended up hosting Training Spaces is kind of hilarious. But I kept doing Broadway. You know, I, I was still doing musical theater and I remember I did the musical Chicago on Broadway long before I did Training Spaces. And then I went back to Chicago on Broadway when people would see me at the stage door and they'd be like, wow, how did you learn how to sing and dance so fast? <laughs> like, oh my God. They really think that this, like I just went from trading spaces to Broadway. It's interesting because there was another YouTuber. I can't. Um, and uh, she went and did high. She did waitress, the musical on Broadway. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Um, I, uh, her name is completely escaping me right now. In any case, Miranda sings, that's not her real name. That's her persona on right, YouTube. Right, right. But uh, Colleen Bollinger. Yeah. So she she told a similar story in the fact of she was on Broadway for a, a short run. And a lot of people were like, well, how did a YouTuber? And it's right. the same kind of thing. It's like, you got to understand there's 10 plus years. She, were, she was a performer for Disney. She was in parades. She was in all of these other different things. And so Broadway was just like an extension of kind of her personality, right? Right. But, and of course, everyone in the community, the Broadway community, already knew who she was. It's yeah. Just, maybe the general public didn't know, but she had already made a name for herself as a talent in the industry. Yeah, yeah. And I knew that about you. Even And for me, like I've been following you for a long time because I saw you in Beauty and the Beast. You, you oh. were Babette, right? That's, that was your character. Okay. So in high school, in the late 90s, we took a trip to New York and we saw Beauty and the Beast. And, and so I knew you from that. And then I saw you went on to do Chicago. So when I saw you in 2001 or so and turned on the TV and there you were on Trading Spaces, I was like, oh, this is 
this this was like not you know one the it was not the cart before the horse kind of thing. I knew that you had done all that other stuff, and so for me at the time, I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh well, that's kind of a jump from Broadway to TV, but but it made sense because you you were quite well at it, and then of course you left, and it kind of did a bunch of other different things, and then you came back again, and but it was such well, like I got, I got fired. Okay, <laughs> well, all and, right, and then I got vindicated. <laughs> Okay, I wasn't going to say that, but you said it, so I don't want to offend you in any kind of way. But yeah, I mean, you got, it happens in the industry. I mean, let's be honest, you know, you know, and of course, the the reboot version of it without you was obviously not as good. And I'm not just saying that to say it, but I think you kind of brought this different perspective and persona to the show, because I remember watching episodes i think like there was one where you guys turned a basement or a backyard into like a lakers basketball court or something like that or you you guys did some pretty crazy things i'm trying to remember well, i don't remember that but yes we did do crazy things for sure and that was what i think kind of you were so you were like reality television before reality television existed yes, like we're very much at the forefront of that whole genre not just the home genre but just the reality genre in general that really didn't exist yet not, certainly not like it does now oh my goodness now it's like I, I can't even list off how many reality shows it's insane what's out there right now and I interview a lot, a lot of them and I and every time I talk to them I always hearken back just to the days of before it was like, well, even before Trading Spaces, there was MTV and Road Rules and the, you know, put all the people in a house together and let them live together for three months in New York. Right, right, right. right. You know, just like all these insane social experiments. But it's funny, Tim Gunn, I had him on a while ago and he was telling a similar story about um, when he got approached for Project Runway, he you know, he didn't see himself as a judge or he, he wasn't even interested in it, to be honest. He was totally fine being a fashion designer or being an instructor and teaching. And he was cool with it. And when they told him, oh, this is reality television and you're going to be a judge, he's like, no way. You know, I that's just not. And even to this day, with all of the other kinds of shows that inspired it, he still is more of like, I still consider myself to be this like you consider yourself to be a performer and a singer you know that's what's exciting to you right like if training spaces Although came back I today say, i mean i had no idea i had no idea what i was even getting myself into really so it was just kind of like we want you to do this and that's it that's all they kinda... I had a friend who worked at the production company not on training spaces she actually worked for a wedding story and makeover story okay the the production company that made trading spaces back in the day, they had a few of those TLC shows. I don't know if you're old enough to remember like that when the very first season of trading spaces was in daytime, not prime time. Yeah. Well, I'm 46. So I, 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 okay. Do, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and I did not host that first season, but it was in daytime and it was a whole lineup. There was, you know, dating story, makeover story, wedding story, baby story, trading spaces. Right. And, she worked on the other two shows and Banyan Productions produced almost all of those shows for TLC. And so she was the one who had heard kind of the water cooler talk. They're going to be looking for a new host for this show, Trading Spaces. And she called screaming to my answering machine. She's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there, there's the show and they're looking for a new host and you're perfect for it. And I 
called her back and I'm like, okay, well, I've never done TV. I've never hosted anything and I don't have a background in interior design. So how am I perfect? (laughs) And she was like, I just know it. And she was the one who pushed me, pushed me, pushed me to get the audition. I couldn't get an audition because I didn't have any television experience on my resume. So I literally could not even get seen. So she was the one who just like kept insisting, like you have to try to get in. You have to try to get in, like get your agent to call do something like you've got to be seen for this. I just know in my heart, you are the one for this job. And it was a lot of, a lot of blood under my fingernails, like clawing my way into that audition. I didn't even know what, I, I didn't even want the job. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just thought, oh my God, like how will I ever get television experience if I can't even audition for a television job? I'm like, <laughs> even, like let me audition for this thing. Like, oh, no, I will get an audition. I never once in a million years thought I would book it. I just, it was kind of like this Achilles heel thing. Like, oh, I will get an audition. You will see me. (laughs) Um, Well, that's that kind of tenacity that gets people in the room, right? Like, and I think that... Or or naivete. I mean, I just couldn't understand. Like, I'm not auditioning for NBC's fall lineup here. Like, I just want to audition for a pissant cable show on a network that nobody would even really heard of right. for the longest time, right? TLC was kind of brand new. They were just on the map. They weren't even called TLC for more than a year. They were still called The Learning Channel at the time. Yeah, that was back when cable TV was kind of like in this weird space where they were just, it was there, but, you know, people were more interested in regular primetime yeah, television. Like, networks, of course, of course. Yeah, and all- then... People forget this was over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just, like, I think about it now because I I don't even consider, I mean, it was reality television in the sense of things were happening in real time, you know, and you were, you had projects that you had to do. But this was long before, like, Nate Berkus and and all of the things and Property Brothers. Very much so. You know, some of these other 90 Day Fiance, which I don't even understand that. Well, and even like, I mean, I can't speak to some of those reality shows entirely, but I know some of it is manufactured. Sure. I know with the home improvement and decor shows, none of it's manufactured per se, but there's like huge art departments that come in and help. Like we were actually reality television. And even in the reboot, like the neighbors did the work, you know, they, we really did it in two days. We really did it for the money we said we spent. Like that was all real even in this recent reboot it's 100 percent real and it definitely was back in the day and i remember when i did other shows like i hosted homemade simple for the own network and you know those homeowners definitely participated in the work but there were like people who did it like right yeah painting and then we'd all leave and go start working on another project and this dude cole would go in and paint the whole room for everybody like he was a professional painter, production assistant. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> we never had that on training spaces. You no. Can, you go back to your room, and that's the thing. You had to trust your neighbor, not just it wasn't so much the design, you had to trust your neighbor because the designers came up with the design. Your neighbor really didn't have a whole lot of say, is the truth. It all had to be planned in advance because it all had to be done in two days. So the designers have to show up with everything. There's no time. To be like, what color are we going to do? What, you know, it's like they came with it ready to go. Yeah, yeah. You trust your neighbors to do the work 
there were plenty of times that people came home to some pretty shoddy paint jobs. I was going to ask you that, like, you know, like we would, for try, me. we would try to teach them and have it be as good as it could <laughs> be, you know, but it, you know, it was often did not, it was clear it was not a professional paint job. You're right. Yeah. Did you ever have moments where a, a job was completed and they would come back to it and go, this is horrible. We're changing this back. You know, this is not. What do you mean? The homeowner or the well, neighbor? The, well, either one. Like, say, for example, you came to us and you said, our neighbors, we're going to do this. I'll sh I haven't shown you my space yet. I'm excited to show you. I know you're not an interior designer, but I think you'll just get a kick out of it in any case. You complete the work. Let's say they transformed it into like an 80s theme. You know, that was the neighbor's idea. And the homeowner came back and saw it and go, did, did you ever have moments where they didn't like the work that had been done and they would just oh, yes. oh, want to change it back instantly and be like, this is terrible? Oh, absolutely. And those episodes are kind of our most famous ones. Okay. But one of the reasons why they were so popular and, and so recognizable is because it was rare. Mm -hmm. People talk about those episodes the most, but they remember them the most because they stand out. Okay. 90% of the time, and we're talking hundreds of rooms. We had 75 episodes in a season. The show was on for years and it's two rooms per episode. <laughs> So you're talking hundreds and hundreds of rooms and maybe 10% of those, you know, one out of 10 hated it. So you remember that that sticks out in your mind. You, all of the happy tears and jumping up and down and yippee, if they all kind of run together. But when somebody throws a fit, you're like, Oh, you sit up and notice like, Oh, they're not happy. You remember <laughs> that you remember crying Pam in the fireplace and you, you remember Yellen Ellen, who got the black and yellow dining room. And you remember yes, yes. You know, angry Jesse, <laughs> who got so upset about the color brown. And you like, you know, these people, they stand out because it was rare. And I took a, I took a lot of pride in that. Most everybody was really happy. And even if they didn't, this is another thing that I have always been extremely proud of. Never, not one time, maybe angry Jesse is, she hated the color brown. And that is the only time I know of a neighbor who actually stopped talking to their, they, like their friendship was over. Out of hundreds and hundreds of episodes, wow. she, they actually broke off their relationship. That's how angry she was. Even the rooms where people hated it, I never once heard anybody regret doing it. Mm -hmm. They always say, oh, I, I would do this all over again just for the experience. Like that was the most fun I've ever had. And I think that was a real testament to her team, our production team, our designers, even the ones who like play bad. <laughs> it was like the, the sweetest, most generous, most giving maternal one of the whole gang. So I mean, it just cracked me up, but she stuck to her guns and she went out on a limb and she did crazy, crazy shit. Uh, <laughs> so people thought she was this evil monster, but she wasn't. Same with Doug. Like he was sort of known as the bad boy, right? Yeah. And he's just a Midwestern good old boy. Like he's the nicest guy. He's one of my closest friends. I mean, it's just, it just was so funny. But so that's why I think 
it didn't matter who, what designer you had or what designer you worked with. No matter what your room looked like, you always had a great time. And I took a lot of responsibility for making sure that the, I wasn't just hosting the television show, that I was hosting that event. I was okay. hosting these two sets of neighbors going through this together. I took that very, very seriously. We had a very happy set. I can't say we never had fights or arguments or things like that. We were like a family, but um, not like, it would be like, no, we have to shoot this first. Like, like that would be our fight. You know yeah. what I mean? Order or, of production. Like, we might have a fight. Like I might say to Hildy, like, what are you doing? You were ruining these people's house, you know? But they were honest fights. They were fights that brothers and sisters would get into. Sure. You know? Um, yeah, I would so imagine. There so much love and so much humor and joy. And, you know, our cameramen were great. Our sound guys were great. The grips were great. Our producers were hilarious and smart and witty and terrific and full of magnificent ideas. And, I mean, they were great leaders. And it was lightning in a bottle on screen, I think. Like the idea, the time, the cast, the year, you know, like all of it was lightning in a bottle. But the part that often doesn't get talked about is energy off camera. That was mm -hmm. also lightning in a bottle. Like you don't always get thrown together with people who are just amazing, down, you know, down to every last person. It was special. Yeah, it's such an iconic show. And, you know, now living on in reruns and, and who knows, with the days of Netflix and a million streaming platforms, <laughs> Well, if only I would see any residuals from that, but it's basic cable, so that does not exist. Well, what I was going to I know. Well, what I was going to suggest is, is if it ever decided, I mean, they rebooted Queer Eye, and it's done quite well on Netflix, so who knows? Maybe... Uh, well, that was with a whole new cast, and yeah, a new production company, though. That's what I was going to say. It's the same company. So maybe... They might give you the call one day and say, Paige, we want you to come back and uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this again. It's just such a cool. Oh, I just lived that. I know, right? I just lived the whole reboot. And then no, and nobody watched. Everyone was so excited and nobody watched. Yeah. Well, you know, people are fickle, I think. And I, I it do. It was of its time. You know, it was of its time. And yeah, it was really exciting. And I know people were really excited about it. You know, there were like maybe what, 100 channels on television. And of those 25 of them were watchable. Now there's literally 2000 networks on television. Yeah, and yeah, it seems of them are watchable. <laughs> so it the competition is just completely different than it was back then. Yeah. And I want our listeners to know, too, that, I mean, there is a lot to you. There's that. There's your musical theater experience that, that really. And I, I learned that new. I, I, I like that that was your passion and your goal, really, more than anything else, other than being on television and being famous or whatever the case, however you want to call it. You know, that wasn't really your path. You 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 were more of this artistic person in that trading spaces just kind of happened and it fit you. I think your personality just, and I get that in talking to you here in the last 30 minutes. I think that at least for me is what sold the show was your likability and you're able to connect with people and you, you hosted something. It wasn't just like, hi, I'm here. Everybody's around here doing this and I'm kind of on the sidelines commentating on it right that was not what it was all about well I, I think I I don't know if this is going to sound like I'm congratulating myself I don't mean it to sound like that but because I was so clueless as to what a host did 
And, you know, I had, what I came to find out is the host before me, when it was in daytime, she, I'm not trying to diss her at all. I mean, this is what hosts did. You were kind of a talking head and then you spent time in your trailer or whatever. Well, but I'd seen training spaces when it was on that first season and I saw her painting with the neighbors and doing crafts with the whatever. So I assumed when I became host, that's what I would be doing. So I showed up and I did all that. Nobody told me that I could just if the cameras weren't rolling, I could go sit somewhere else. I just assumed that was part of the job. And I, you know, you're making it up as you go. There really wasn't hosting gigs that existed like that. So I kind of right. created, I helped create that niche of what a host could be in reality television. And, you know, I noticed there were like a number of times where, you know, like a casting notice would go out for a Paige Davis type. <laughs> That's odd, but yeah, you know, I get it. I'm like, oh my God, like I, I became a type. So it was interesting. And, um, but some of, a lot of that was just, I didn't know it could be or would be any different. Right. I showed up and did what I was supposed to do. I thought. And- I think you did. I, I think, you know, it's still just one of those shows that made you feel good. It was exciting. And took your mind off whatever the country was dealing with at the time or just whatever. Yeah, well, you know? 9-11. Yeah, yeah. And we could turn on TLC, the learning channel, <laughs> for those who remember that, and watch you and just these exciting projects happen and go, I would never do that to my space. But, you know, looking back, if, if I had the opportunity now with all these other types of shows that I think you guys pioneered extreme home makeover and i don't know the list goes on and on um i think you guys well i shouldn't say i think i know you 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 set the standard for what reality television could expect and it wasn't manipulative or scripted in the sense like a lot of those types of shows are because i've interviewed several you know of the real housewives and and the list goes on and on and they will tell you that what you see is just such a small percentage of like is actually happening. I, I interviewed somebody from this other, and I say this just as example, too hot to handle on Netflix. And she was telling me that they, I mean, they knew months in advance who they were going to set her up with. It was all calculated and she did, she knew she was on the show, but didn't know when she was going to come. And then she gets a call and they say, you're coming tomorrow. You need to fly to Mexico. Yeah. And, and then she shows up and then they add her as the bad person, you know, kind of the bad girl of the show. And she's not that way at all in any stretch of the imagination. My point is, is that you guys were like reality TV, but it was honest reality TV, you yes. know, and it wasn't, like I said earlier, manipulative in any kind of way. And it didn't, you know, leave these insane cliffhangers of oh my god what's going to happen next week is Paige going to strangle the neighbor I mean it wasn't like you know none of that none of that it was a simpler time and I think I mean it's kind of sad it's a little strange and bittersweet but in a way like I was saying lightning in a bottle you can't take away any aspect of what was present that made Trading spaces, the success that it was in the time that it was. And one of those things was 9-11. And it's kind of sad, but it also made people stay home. It made people appreciate family and wanting to like watch TV with their family. And Trading Spaces was a show that kids could watch, parents could watch. Nobody felt embarrassed. Nobody felt weird. Nobody felt uncool. Like your kids, kids could not feel they could still feel cool watching with their parents. Their parents didn't have to feel embarrassed watching with their kids. 
you know, people were wanting to maybe do things with their home and, and not travel. You weren't, people weren't flying, people weren't going anywhere. And so then all of a sudden you've got the Home Depot boom and the, you know, Lowe's boom. And that's all happening all at the same time because of trading spaces. Like all yeah. that's one thing, you know, um, just taking like a look at your home. It used to be, I feel like kind of before trading spaces, there was some home improvement shows, but it was always experts, right? So it was Martha Stewart or it was Bob Vila or, you know, these people who they were the expert and then they would tell you, you should do this with your home. And I think a lot of people thought that you either had to be an expert or you had to have the money to afford having a designer, right? And that that was a snooty thing and a luxury thing. And I think what Trading Spaces did, even though we did crazy ideas, and obviously Hilly was purposely pushing the boundaries as much as she could to make great television, but we were trying to bust people out of, you know, every wall doesn't have to be eggshell sage. And like, you can have another color besides taupe and you can do something besides paint. And you could like right, you right. can do stuff to your home, and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. So even if you don't want to do these crazy ideas that we're doing, it'll get you to think outside the box and go, "Hey, hun, you know, we could take a weekend and actually do something cool to this room." And it doesn't mean that we're snooty. You know, design doesn't have to be snooty. Design can actually be your personality, and you can take time to like put money and energy into your home, and that's okay. Yeah, I love that. That is awesome. Well, I, I feel like I've learned so much about you and, and all of that. And it's so cool to kind of hear some of those stories and reflect. As we wrap up here, I know you've got a lot going on today. I want to talk about Project Backpack. I know it's a, an organization that you've been involved with for a while. And yeah. I want to uh, talk about that. Operation Backpack is a program that um, comes through the organization Volunteers of America. Volunteers of America is a social services organization, not volunteers. They're actually paid staff <laughs> who run uh, shelters. We have early learning developmental schools. We have family shelters, domestic violence shelters, veteran shelters. We're one of the biggest providers of services to the homeless in the five boroughs of New York. Volunteers of America is actually a national-wide, it's a nationwide organization. I'm just affiliated with the New York chapter. Operation Backpack is this kind of like extra program that we do that we reach out to the public and to corporations to help raise money. It's not funded by the government or anything like that. We just sort of do this on our own to provide school supplies to all of the children who are in the shelter system of the five boroughs of Manhattan, of which there are close to 20,000 school-aged children in our shelter system. So it's a lot. and um, It's a Herculean effort, and I've been a part of it gosh, over 15 years now. And uh, we, we give new backpacks filled with brand new grade specific school supplies to every child. And we've managed to do it in COVID. I can't take any credit or responsibility for it in any way. When I say we, I mean Volunteers of America. I do not mean me. Um, the staff at Volunteers of America figured out how to do the drive this year so that we could get these supplies safely COVID-free in the hands of these kids. And that is, frankly, it's mind-blowing. And they're just heroes to me. Um, and I've, you know, shown up and, and yes, volunteered um, to do, like, volunteer not at a volunteer organization. Um, so I, you know, I, I definitely do 
I participate in it, but the, the actual organization of it is something that I don't do. And it blows my mind every year that they're able to accomplish it. Wow. And I want to make sure our listeners know as well that this, we'll have links to this in our show notes. So if you want to learn more about it and you want oh, great. to- thank, thank you. Yes. And you want to donate or however that works, we will make that available. And of course, Paige is on social media. You have to look her up, connect with her on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, if you're listening and you've never heard of Trading Spaces, just go on to YouTube and Google Paige Davis Trading Spaces and you will be highly entertained with some of the wild and crazy experiences that she had on the show. And of course, Broadway, I mean, we can't forget that. Chicago, Beauty and the Beast. Again, those are the two that just come to my mind, but there's been hundreds of other shows that you have participated in as well. Paige, thank you for doing this and being on the show today. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, Brett. It would thank you for letting me go on and on and on. It was a wonderful trip down memory lane and I was very flattered and it was very fun. Thank you. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>